got your uh, Bibles with you, let's open them up to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 32 through 40. And if you don't have the scriptures with you, that's okay. I'm going to have all of our verses uh, this morning on the screen. And so you can read along with me. Let's start reading Hebrews 11, starting in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, and they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in the dens and caves of the earth. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Let's pray together. God, we love you so much, and we just thank you for your grace towards us. And I want to ask that right now, as we've just read from your word, I pray that, um, God, that you would speak into our hearts through your word. Let it not be about what we think or how we feel, but rather what you have spoken and so, God, give us clarity around your word. Grant me um, just your Holy Spirit to, to, to come with clarity. And, God, we need you. We just ask for your help through your spirit this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we come. Amen. All right, so we're going to talk through the last portion of Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. And if you guys have been here over the past month or so, um, we've really spent time going through uh, the entire chapter of Hebrews 11 and kind of taking Old Testament stories and, and seeing how these people had an abiding faith and trust in God, who he is and what he would do in their lives. And so we've looked at uh, the story of Moses and Abraham and, and, and others and, and just examined how these Old Testament saints had a deep rooted, abiding faith in God and, and who he was. And, and so we come to this part, we're going to finish out all of chapter 11 this morning. And where we come to in the text, uh, the, the writer basically just comes down and says, look, there's, there's not enough time for me to tell you um, a story after story after story of Old Testament saints who had a deep and abiding faith and trust in God and what God did in and through their lives. There's, there's just too many uh, people to, to walk through and, and there's not enough time. And so instead of going story after story, he simply shares what happened to these Old Testament saints. And he just kind of runs this list off and and I just want to, the beginning part of this list is quite impressive. Um, and I just want to read a couple, uh, just a, a couple parts of it again. Hear, hear what God did through these people. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, and women received back their dead by resurrection. That's impressive. I don't know how many of us woke up today saying, I just saw, we just all received back our dead by resurrection on the way in here today. That's a big list of, of huge things that God did through his people, and, they, and all of it happened just by faith in him and who he was. 
And God did miraculous things that some of you would, uh, in some way, shape, or form, be able to relate to that. Some of you can walk in and say, you know what, yes, I, I could stand up and say, I have seen God do incredible, miraculous things in and through my life. Uh, I've seen God uh, maybe heal someone physically with a, with a disease or an illness. I've seen God uh, take, bring a wayward child back home, but one that's straight from the faith, and we've seen him uh, just bring and restore him back to God. We've seen um, me taking, people taken from uh, just deep, dark depression and God pulling them out and bringing them back to fullness of joy. Some of you could stand up and, and say that, that, that God has done so many miraculous things, just some huge, uh, just awesome things in and through my life. And while that may be true, and it is true for some of us, there's a whole other group of us that sit here and, and could stand up and say just as equally, I haven't seen God do that in my life yet. I haven't seen God... Uh, do, do all these incredible things, and, I, and I'm praying that God would do something miraculous in my life in whatever situation or circumstance that you're praying through. You're asking God to do something huge, something magnificent in your life, and you're not seeing it happen. And you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and, it's, and, and you're not waiting because you have a lack of faith. You're not waiting because you have um, some sort of a lack of trust in God. You, you, you could stand up and say, I'll do anything. I'll, I'll go wherever God calls me. I'll do whatever he asks of me. I'll go. I'll be willing. And you come and you lay yourself down bare before the Lord and you say, God, would you just deliver me out of this? And you're still waiting. You're still waiting. And you're still waiting. And for, for what I want to show us today, while all of those things in verse 33 and 34 are true, they are absolutely true. God has done and will do incredible things through the life of believers. It will happen. God is still moving in the same ways today. God will do those things. But in the same way, for every single one of us in the room, suffering and persecution either is a reality currently or will be a reality at some point in your life. At some point, if you're not right now, suffering and persecution is going to be true for us. And I don't believe these stories in Hebrews chapter 11 are there on accident. Because uh, just like you, who, who maybe have a deep and abiding faith in God, and you're waiting on God to do something incredible, it's not due to a lack of faith, it's not due to a lack of trust, in the very same way, by faith, people were sawn in two. By faith, people were killed with the sword. Think about that. By faith, these people were afflicted, mistreated, persecuted, suffered for the Jesus they love so dearly. And so I want to just say for us, persecution and suffering can oftentimes be an incredible gift from God for us. Suffering and persecution can be an incredible gift from God for us. And, and just like it's incredible to see God uh, de deliver people from incredible things like 33 and 34 in Hebrews 11, it is just as incredible that by faith people were sawn into by faith. Uh, I, I just want to read this, this part of Hebrews eleven thirty five 35 through 38 again. And I want you to hear what by faith was, was happened to, to the believers in God. Start in verse 35 with me again. Starting at some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mogging and flocking and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, and they were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, hear this, of whom the world was not worthy, 
wandering about in deserts and mountains and in the dens and caves of the earth. Now, I've heard so many times Hebrews, this portion of Hebrews 11 uh, preached before. And for lack of a better phrase, I've heard a lot of what I'll call holy hoorahs. All right, holy hoorahs, meaning somebody stands up on a stage and they get 33 and 34 out of chapter Hebrews 11. And they preach this whole deal on, uh, man, for, for us as God's people, we're going to go in and force justice. We're going to take down kingdoms. We're going to stop the mouths of lions. We're going to get a go get them for the kingdom. And it's this holy hoorah, and they go through it and say, God would never want anything bad for his children. God wouldn't want his children to suffer. God would not want that for his kids. And they stop short of 35 through 38, that by faith, people were killed. By faith, they were mistreated. By, by faith, they were flocked and, and mog, uh, um, they, they suffered flock. Um, I'm losing my word. There we go. Flogging and, and mocked, and they were persecuted, and they suffered for their faith in God. And they walked about life in that way. And so I, I want to start by showing how you and I can have faith and should have faith in times of persecution and suffering. I, th- I think a lot of us don't think about suffering well simply because it hasn't been taught to us very well. And I'm one of those guys for a long time. I didn't quite understand uh, why suffering would be a reality for God's people. I didn't, uh, it's not that I didn't want to suffer, and it's not maybe that you necessarily don't want to suffer, don't want bad things to happen, but I think too oftentimes some of us see suffering and persecution in the lives of Christians as, as a weakness in our life, or we see it as um, God is, is not with us. And, and some of us can tend to think if we walk down dark roads of suffering, we think that, well, well, maybe God is punishing me right now for what's, what I've been doing. Maybe I've been in sin and maybe God's punishing me. And so I'm uh, experiencing persecution and suffering because uh, God wants to teach me a lesson in order to come back. And he wants me to be good enough or, or get my act together enough so that I could come back and the suffering will be alleviated from me. And maybe that's uh, your view, but for all of us, I think it, it's, it's so critically important because I love that the Bible is not shy about talking about the suffering of God's people. The Bible is not shy about it. You just need to read just a few pages to see that it did not always go well for God's people and that God has a unique plan for us in the suffering of his people. And, and here's what I want us to see that is true is because suffering and persecution can be a gift from God. Suffering and persecution can be a gift from God. And that is not our natural tendency to see suffering as a gift that is given to us. I don't think it's natural to see um, the, the pain, the sorrow, the tragedy, the loss, the, the, the ridicule that we may face as a gift that God gives to us. Uh, but I want to take you to Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. You don't have to flip there. I'll have it on the screen for you. And I want you to hear the way the Apostle Paul describes suffering in Philippians 1. In verse 29, Paul says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Hear that verse. It's been granted that you should also suffer for his sake. What Paul is saying in that text is is in the very same way that God has given you and I uh, faith to believe in his son Jesus, in the very same way that that our faith is a gift given to us by God, just like that gift, God gives us the gift of suffering. God gives us a gift of suffering. It's actually been granted to us. 
the suffering of God's people. And, and, and too many times we can see suffering as an inconvenience or something that is destructive in our lives instead of actually seeing suffering as a privilege and something God wants to use in and through our lives. And, and if you're a thinker in the room, you may logically ask this question. If you're a thinker, if you're a skeptic, if you're a doubter, or if you're a non-believer in the room, uh, you may ask a couple of things. One of them is this, well, if God wanted to be glorified, why wouldn't when his people suffer, why wouldn't he just always miraculously pull them out of it? Why wouldn't he just take them out? Because if, if, if I'm sick and, and, and God just healed me right away, wouldn't that show everybody around me how true God is? That's a logical question. Or maybe, uh, maybe for, for a non-believer or a, a big-time skeptic, uh, you could ask the question, doesn't the presence of suffering for Christians show that God doesn't even exist to begin with? And I would say that those questions are good questions. Those questions are, are fine to ask if you're uh, struggling through some of those questions. But the reason why I think we can have those sort of valid questions is because we need a biblical understanding of what comes from suffering. Because when we see suffering only as loss instead of gain, we will ask those types of questions. And so I want to show you how great gain can come through suffering. Great gain can come through suffering. When we talk about suffering, we tend to only think about what is lost or taken from us. Okay, so if you're struggling through a job uh, loss or if you're struggling through a, uh, maybe you've been trying to get pregnant and you walk through dark roads with that or maybe, uh, maybe for you it's a loss of a relative or maybe for you it is uh, d- deep, dark depression that's, that's just painful. All we think about when we think about those moments is instead of those things can oftentimes be a gift from God, instead those things are only seen as what we have lost. We only think about what was taken from us and not what is given to us when we walk down dark roads of suffering. And so instead of, uh, in, instead of thinking about the joy that could come, we only think about the pain endured. But I want to take you to verse 38 again. I hear the way the Bible talks about these great sufferers in Hebrews 11. The Bible calls them people of whom the world was not worthy. People of whom the world was not worthy. Something was unique, something was special about these people because though they were sawn into, though they were killed with the sword and afflicted and mistreated, with a deep, abiding faith, trust, and hope in God. And so there are three things I want to show you that we can gain when we suffer and suffer well. One is this we trust Christ more. We trust Christ more. It, it takes faith. In, in Christ to endure through suffering and persecution when those things arise in our life. And if I stood up here and said, when suffering, you should wake up this morning and you should pray, good Lord, let me get sawn in two this afternoon. Lord, would you please help me be afflicted and mistreated today? I would love that. I would love to wake up and joyfully uh, just be killed with the sword. I just don't think that that's our natural reaction when we wake up every morning. I don't think the first thing, nor do I think we necessarily should ask for those things but one thing that, that is interesting about when the people of God suffer is something unique happen is, happens, and that's this, that when you and I walk through dark roads, we are pushed back onto Christ more, and we learn to trust Christ in a new way that we have maybe never had to trust him before. When we walk down those dark roads of pain and despair and trial and hardship, when everything is taken from us, like, happened, uh, what, like what happened to Job in the Old Testament, the only thing we have is God. And so we come and we, we say, you know what, God, I don't have anything, but I have you and that's enough. And so we've, we're constantly pushed back, forced back onto Christ for hope in those times. One of my favorite stories of suffering is, is depicted in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'll give you some backstory before I read a couple of verses from it. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it's the Apostle Paul talking. And Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 12 some sort of suffering that he's going through. He calls it a thorn in his flesh. And, and there are scholars out there that take an educated guess on what that suffering may have been, but we really and truly don't know what it was. But whatever it was, he was suffering through something that was, that was painful, that was, it just led him to despair in some way, shape, or form. And, and, and he comes and he lays himself down before God and he asks God three times to take the suffering and pain away from him. He asks the Lord, he says, I ask the Lord three times to take it from me. And what's interesting about this is the Apostle Paul, if you know, he was a man that walked in incredible uh, just power of the Holy Spirit from God that, that you and I may have never seen. I, Paul is a man that uh, God used Paul to heal people through faith. That, that Paul would pray for someone and they would get well or, or they, they would uh, be blind and they would see. God, do it, God did incredible things through the Apostle Paul. Absolutely incredible things. One of the greatest missionaries we've seen. Uh, it went, went through, so many people came to faith through his ministry. And so this was a man that walked in power of the Holy Spirit with the Lord and saw incredible things happen. But that man, very same man that God used powerfully is standing before the Lord and said, Lord, I'm suffering. I need you to take this from me. And I want you to read with me. I'll have it on the screen. I want you to read the Lord's response to Paul to the alleviating of his suffering. I'm going I'm to read 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 9. But he said to me, this was the Lord's answer, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And hear Paul's response here. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The Apostle Paul, a man who walked in an extraordinary power, who God used in mighty ways, is walking, saying, Lord, would you take this from me? And the Lord tells him, no. No, because he's going to have to learn to trust in God. Is, is it, the Lord's power is going to be made perfect through Paul's weakness. So the answer was not, yes, Paul, I will do this, but no, Paul, I won't, because you are going to trust in me more than you ever knew you could. And Paul learned a hard lesson is that for the believers in Jesus, oftentimes weakness is the way. Weakness will be the way for us. It is not our strength that will advance the gospel in the world necessarily. It is not necessarily um, our, our power and our, our, our just our strength and our might, but oftentimes it is suffering, weakness, hardships that the power of Christ would rest upon us and that God would do incredible things through us. One of my favorite uh, quotes, probably, uh, this is like a top five for me in my life, it's by the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, and I want you to hear this because I think it depicts this point well. Charles Spurgeon said this, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. What he's saying there is I have learned to embrace, I have learned to kiss, to take in the suffering, the, the hardships that will come my way because I know when suffering and hardships come my way, I know what's gonna happen is, is I'm gonna be thrown against the rock of ages. I'm gonna cling to Jesus in those moments because he is going to be my only hope. When we walk through times of suffering and despair, the only thing we have and the only thing we need is the rock of ages. We simply need Christ. And in Christ, it will be enough. In Christ, we can be content. In Christ, we have all that we need for fullness of joy, for life, and for satisfaction. Despite our circumstances, despite what is going on around us, we can always have Christ, and through our weakness, his power will be made manifest in our lives. 
this, this past week, as I was thinking about this message, and my wife and I hadn't really even talked about it at this point, she disciples a group of uh, ladies, and they were at the house on one night this week, and they were talking afterwards, and, and, and they were talking about some sort of suffering or just trials that were going on in, in life, and and some of you guys have heard before in, in a previous sermon, I won't spend a lot of time on it, but some of you guys have heard about over three years ago now, my wife was diagnosed with a form of cancer and had to walk through uh, just treatments and, and surgeries and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and she was talking about that particular season of life for her. And she was telling the girl that she's discipling, she said, this is incredible. She, she looked at her and she said, if I never walk through my cancer, I don't know if I would trust God like I do right now. If I never walk through my cancer, I don't know if I would trust God like I do right now. She said that, that, that through those dark days, through the pain, through the despair, through the frustration, through the prayers of, of God, why won't you, would you just heal this? Through those moments, God was doing something miraculous in her life and in my life to teach us something that we may have never learned otherwise. That God said, we're going we're to need to kiss the wave that throws us against the rock of ages. She said she wouldn't trust him like she does right now. She didn't walk through that time. So are you, are you going through that? Have you been through that? Will you go through something like that? Maybe, maybe your story is not cancer, but whatever your suffering is, would you let your suffering be something that throws you back onto our Lord Jesus and cause you to trust him more, cause you to have faith in him more, cause you to trust love and endure through the pain and through the agony. The second thing that we can gain through suffering is this, is that suffering oftentimes is the advancing of the gospel. Suffering is oftentimes the advancing of the gospel. One of the things that I love about how the early church spread so rapidly, if you go back and read through the book of Acts, one of the things that was incredible when you look at the early church is some of the times that the church uh, spread so quickly was actually because suffering and persecution had come against the church. Uh, so, so many times you can look and see that God's people were being killed, God's people were being slandered, God's people were being mocked, and through the mocking, through the slandering, through the persecution, the gospel took off like a wildfire. And, and, and I'll just share a couple with you. In Acts chapter 8, right after the stoning of Stephen, he was stoned to death, and there was a great persecution that rose against the church, and God used that persecution to take the group of believers who were gathered together after the persecution came. And he scattered them everywhere. So now there was a gospel witness in places that had never had it before. Gospel had never reached these places. And, and when people think that they're coming after the church, they think that they're going to take the message of the cross away. What does God do? God works all things together for those who are called according to his purpose. And instead of, instead of the people of God running in fear, they went out in boldness and took the gospel with them. And the gospel spreads throughout the world. Also in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were imprisoned. And through their imprisonment, God gave Paul and Silas an opportunity to preach the gospel to a jailer at the jail. And through the imprisonment and through them being able to preach the gospel to the jailer, the jailer and his entire family come to faith in Christ. And they all go get baptized. Now hear me, prison is not what prison is for us right now. If they didn't have a TV and a cot, it's a little bit more painful than that. And out of joy that they could be counted worthy to suffer for Christ, they preach the gospel to the jailer and people come to faith. The gospel advances because 
of their imprisonment and through their suffering. And this is just one of the few stories that I could take you over and over. Read the book of Acts and look through that consistent thread that as the the pressure is turned on to the people of God, the gospel explodes. As they think they're going to slow the message down, the message actually moves faster and reaches more people. And it's because God uses suffering and persecution of his people to advance the message of the cross. One of the things that that is, is a grace for each of us is that I don't have to worry about being shot on the way out today necessarily for my faith. There are brothers and sisters all over the world and in recent times that we know of that that are are literally being beheaded for faith in in Jesus Christ. Those tides might not always stay that calm for us forever. Or they may stay that calm, but persecution will come in other forms towards us as the church. It will happen. And whether, whether that is through slander and, and, and just, just mocking of our faith, no matter what it is, or, or maybe, maybe something like the report said that someone walks into a college and asks about faith in Jesus and, and people are killed. Maybe those days come. But for so many Christians, what we cannot do is say, I'm going to run away from this. I'm going to run away where the, the grass is greener and it's easier and I can, I, I can just run to somewhere where I can be safe and comfortable and not have to worry, not have to, to stress about what's going to go on in my life. What we need to do is in, embrace the suffering and understand that God will use the persecution and the suffering of his people for the advancement of the gospel. And when he is our joy and he is the one that we want to see glorified, we can be content with our sufferings and our persecution because the gospel will be advanced. So for us, if the day comes, let's accept it, let's bring it, let's embrace it and say, I would be willing to suffer for my glorious king, no matter what the cost, no matter what I need to lay down, no matter uh, what happens, I'll go there because it's going to advance the message of the gospel. The third thing that happens that can, can be gained through suffering is this, is an eternal perspective. We can get an eternal perspective on our lives. I want to read Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to you. And I want you to hear the way Paul describes uh, temporary sufferings in this verse. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. You want to know what he means by that? No matter what happens now, no matter how much pain, no matter how much loss, no matter how much suffering, no matter how much persecution can can come our way, we will never look back in 10,000 years and look back at something and say that it wasn't worth it. If we suffer through anything, if if we're persecuted for our faith in Christ, there will never be a day in eternity that we're going to look back and say, man, it was not worth it all. Because there is going to come a day for you and I, this is a reality, that there's going to be a day where every right is going to be made wrong, every unjust thing is going to be made just, every sin will be undone, and we will be sitting in the glory of our risen King, Jesus. And we can sit there and we'll say, man, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. That, that suffering was light and momentary compared with the glory that I'm sitting in now. This far surpasses anything that I've walked through. This is so much greater than any sort of pain that I have ever endured in my life. And we'll be sitting right beside our crucified king. 
who paved the way for us through suffering and through weakness. And that takes me to, to this point is that there is a great reason why you and I can have faith to suffer well. There is a great reason, and that is because Jesus is the ultimate sufferer. Jesus is the ultimate sufferer. There is not one bit of pain, there is not one bit of loss, there is not one bit of persecution that we will endure that Jesus did not pave the way for. We don't have a king who sits in heaven and says, uh, just get it all together, uh, get over it, suffer well. But we have a king who says, no, I will come and put on flesh and I will walk your walk, I will go down your road and I will be put to death and I will experience the ultimate suffering for you. I'll experience the ultimate, ultimate suffering of the wrath of God being poured out onto Jesus that is due towards the sin that we earned. And he's gonna do that. He did it for us. He is the ultimate sufferer. He paved the way for us. So if we walk through suffering, if we walk through pain, we walk through uh, hardships and calamities and persecution, the only thing we need to do is look to the cross of Jesus Christ and find our hope in that. Because he went down the road for us. He paved the way for us. And he has brought us back and he, he has made us whole so that you and I, by faith and by his grace, can suffer well as a gift that is given to us for the glory of God. So what do we do with this? What do we do? My wife and I had a great talk this week. Uh, I, sometimes I'll ask her if she'll read through my notes, and I'll say, you know, tell me if it's bad, because if it's bad, I don't want to stand up for 30 minutes and bore all of you. So, so she'll read it for me, and she'll kind of come back and critique me. She's my toughest critic, and so she'll come back and say whatever she feels need to be, needs to be said. And she said, hey, I thought it was good, but um, she said, the only thing is I think that uh, there's going to be a whole group of people that are in the room that are going to have no idea how to relate with this. And I said, you're absolutely right. That's going to be true. There are going to be some of us in the room right now that could stand up and say, I have no idea what this is even like. I don't know what it means to suffer right now. I never really have. I don't know what it means to be persecuted. I never really have. But it, as I was thinking about it, these things aren't in the scriptures for no reason. Jesus promised us. He said, if they persecuted me, how much more so will they do to you? The scriptures tell us that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not may be, not, it, not will be persecuted. And so a day is coming. And maybe it's not that I get sawn in two to end my life. Maybe that's not it for me. Maybe I don't get killed with a sword. Maybe that's not the road for me. But as we seek to live a, a godly life in Christ, suffering and persecution will be a part. The scriptures do not shy away from this. They do not hide this reality. It will be true for us in one way, shape, or form, whether you're walking through it now or whether you're walking through it in 20 years. The day will come that it is for us. And so we need to suffer well. We need to suffer well. If it's a reality that we are going to suffer, let us prepare for it. Let us embrace it. Let us use it for the glory of God, for, for the advancement of the gospel as we trust Christ more. And let us keep an eternal perspective on those things. Because it will be a reality for us one day or another. And as I was preparing for, for the message this week, I was... Um, I was sitting and just working on the message, and I had my headphones in, and I was listening to some, some music, 
And, and I didn't, a song came across and I'm like, thank you, Lord, that you've let this come on and, and this happened. I was listening to the old hymn uh, called It Is Well. If you grew up in church, if you didn't, you probably have no idea, so we'll teach it to you. But, um, but if, you, if you know that song, It Is Well, an old hymn, there's a very powerful story behind it. And so what I'm going to do in just a minute is I'm going to read the story of this hymn because I think it makes that hymn so much more powerful. We understand where it's coming from. But I want to do this. For some of us in the room, you, you can relate and say, you know what? Yes, I am suffering currently. We people in 830 just come down and, and just, just need prayer over the suffering they were enduring. Some of you can understand right now, yes, I am suffering. I'm walking down a dark road. I'm walking through despair. I'm walking through pain. And I need faith to endure it. I need faith to walk through it. And so what we're going to do is, is I'm going to read a story. And I'm going to pray. And as I'm praying, I'm gonna, during that time, I'll ask our prayer team to come while I'm praying. Come and get in your places. And then, and then our band is going to come and they're going to sing it as well. And during this time, all I want us to do is just respond to the Lord. If you're walking through suffering and pain and persecution right now, come and pray. Come, come and pray with our team that's down here. And maybe you're not at all. Maybe you're not at all. Maybe you're not walking that road. I would ask you to pray that God would prepare your heart for it, but also pray for those who are suffering around us because they're, they're in this room suffering right now and some due to their faith in Jesus Christ. So, so let me do this. Let me read this for you. This is a story. I'm going to read it because it's far more eloquent than I could put together or reiterate. So hear this story. When the great Chicago fire consumed the Windy City in 1871, Horatio G. Spafford, an attorney heavily invested in real estate, lost a fortune. About that time, his only son, age four, succumbed to scarlet fever. Horatio drowned his grief in work, pouring himself into rebuilding the city and assisting the 100,000 who had been left homeless. In November of 1873, he decided to take his wife and his daughters to Europe. Horatio was close to D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey, and he wanted to visit their evangelistic meetings in England, then enjoy a vacation. When an urgent matter detained Horatio in New York, he decided to send his wife, Anna, and their four daughters, Maggie, Tanetta, Annie, and Bessie, on ahead. As he saw them settled into a cabin aboard the luxurious French cruise liner, an unease filled his mind, and he moved them to a room closer to the bow of the ship, then he said goodbye, promising to join them soon. During the small hours of November 22nd, 1873, as their cruise liner glided over smooth seas, the passengers were jolted from their bunks. The ship had collided with an iron sailing vessel and water poured in like Niagara. The ship tilted dangerously. Screams, prayers, and oaths emerged in the nightmare of unmeasured terror. Passengers clung to post, tumbled through darkness, and were swept away by powerful currents of icy ocean. Loved ones fell from each other's grasp and disappeared into foaming blackness. And within two hours, the mighty ship vanished beneath the waters. The 226 fatalities included Maggie, Tanetta, Annie, and Bessie. Miss Spafford was found nearly unconscious, clinging to a piece of the wreckage. When the 47 survivors in Car landed in Cardiff, Wales, she cabled her husband and just said this, saved alone. Horatio immediately booked his passage to join his wife, and en route, on a cold December night, the captain called him aside and said, I believe we are now passing over the place where their ship went down. And Spafford went to his cabin but found it hard to sleep, and he said to himself, 
it is well, the will of God be done. Man who loses his four children, is sailing to meet his grieving wife, goes over a place of the ocean where they went down. What's his response? In pain, sorrow, agony, it is well, let the will of God be done. I pray it would be that way for us. Join me in praying. God, we love you and we thank you so much for your your love and your your mercy, your grace towards us. And I just want to ask God, for those of us in the room who are suffering, Lord, would you help us to suffer well? For those of us in the room who are facing uh, just, just persecution and suffering towards our faith, I just ask that you would give us endurance and strength and faith to trust in you more. God, I just want to pray that for all of us, as that reality is going to be true for every believer in the room at some point or another, would you help us to remember our Lord and our King, the crucified King, Jesus, who paved the way for us. And so God, would you just let us respond to your word. We love you so much and we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we come. Amen.